Welcome to Discover Ag, where every week we discover what's new in the world of agriculture. We're your hosts, Natalie Kavoric, a rancher and pharmacist from Nebraska. And Tara Vanderdusen, a dairy farmer and environmental scientist from New Mexico. And together we bring you our professional farming opinions on a variety of trending topics in the ag and food space. So you can better understand our food system and feel connected to the hands that feed us. Today is episode 88 of Discover Ag, and it is brought to you in part by Case IH. To the men and women at Case IH, farming is a way of life, a life they live every day on millions of acres across North America. Get to know the farmers who work at Case IH and see how they bring that perspective into everything Case IH does. Visit builtbyfarmers.com to see their stories and even share your own. Built by Farmers, Case IH, a proud sponsor of the Discover Ag podcast. Welcome back stateside, Miss Lizzie McGuire. Oh my gosh. I'm here. I actually made it to the United States. I feel like this is the longest we've ever gone without talking because you were obviously gone in Rome and then it was a complete debacle since you've been home. And so it's been like a full week since, I don't know, we've talked. Also, like, I think it's worth noting, I am so nervous to podcast today. This is the longest I've gone without podcasting in well over a year. And like Luke crushed it last week. So I'm just feeling the pressure to come back. Like there's already people asking for him to come back. And it's just giving me like a complex that like people like Luke better than me. Don't tell Luke that. (laughs) Though he doesn't listen. So you don't have to worry about him (laughs) hearing about it. And he's not on social. You don't have to worry about him seeing it. I would like to thank everyone for all of the positive feedback. It was he was nervous to come on. He will not admit that. But you could tell by the way he hopped in and first said like, hello. Um, he, he was a little nervous. And so it was nice to see you guys embrace a new host. Um, while we love, we love Taro. You'll never be replaced. I will not allow you to be replaced because (laughs) you carry far too much weight that I am not willing to pick up. (laughs) So you have job security purely from my laziness, actually. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. But yes, I am back in the country. We both had travel debacles this weekend. Yeah, I was supposed to go to PBR. I had been talking about it all week, like telling everyone like, hey, come along. We're going to PBR. And then I never went to PBR because my flight got canceled. Dallas was a mess. Yeah. So I was in Dallas and I was asking you, I was like, are you in Dallas? Like, I didn't know where you were because we hadn't talked a lot last week. And you were like, no, my flight got canceled. And I was like, okay, well, mine's still on the board. And I think it was 30 minutes later, mine was canceled. And then it was the whole, like they re that was Friday. They rescheduled us for like Sunday slash Monday. So I ended up flying home on a different airlines. My car is still at the airport. Not sure how I'm getting it. Like, but I, all of that to say, like I made it home safely and Rome was really incredible. I could have, they rebooked me actually for Saturday and I could have gone, but you text me and I'm so thankful you did because you were like, Hey, FYI, everything in Dallas is getting pushed to Sunday. It's kind of crazy here. Almost like cautioning me about going. And I was going to go because when I came back that night, I asked Luke, I was like, do you think I should go? It's only going to be for like 36 hours you know, and he's like, you should go. Like we have a sitter lined up. He was being so nice and supportive about it when I know he was secretly dying inside. I think God was on his side and I got canceled to help Luke because he's so busy with AIing. But like we <laughs> talked about in last week's podcast, he's just, he's truly so supportive. And so he was like, just go. Like I have the person lined up for AI. It'll be fine. You can go experience PBR. And then you actually texted me not long after that and kind of gave me the cautionary. And I just had a feeling, you know, I'm a big gut person and I yeah. had a feeling in my gut that was like, 
don't go just stay home this weekend. And so it all worked out fine. But I was a little bummed to miss PBR. I was very excited about it. I know that you're a gut person. And I just like when I was in the airport, even Saturday morning, I was like, this is madness. I mean, there was hours and hours of waits just to check in. And I was like, I just think I need to send Natalie a little nudge that's like, you know what, it hasn't all worked itself out yet. And there was like another thunderstorm scheduled or scheduled <laughs> another <laughs> thunderstorm. Wouldn't doubt it. it. <laughs> yeah, seriously. For Saturday night. And so I was just like, if anything else gets canceled, like Sunday's going to get pushed back. So mm-hmm. just trying to help a girl out. I appreciate it. Uh, but let's transition to Rome. I want to hear, I've been dying to hear about Rome. We have, like I said, we have not talked since you've landed. So start us at the beginning. I know you landed and went like directly to meetings. Yes. I uh, landed Monday morning and went straight to work. I went to Rome to go to the UN FIO uh, negotiations for gender equality and women's and girls empowerment work stream. This has been going on for years, them trying to come to these voluntary guidelines for countries to agree to like women equality, like girls empowerment. And so we were negotiating the language for those um, for those guidelines, essentially. And so I had to go to the food and agriculture organization there in Rome. And um, yeah, got checked in, got all that. And then this is the second time I've done something at the UN at FAO. It is like just a wild experience to go and deal with it all. Did you call it FAO? FAO? You can call it FAO or FAO, either or. Learn something new every day. In no the United idea. States, we call it FAO I of think that sounds American. Yeah. It, FAO sounds like the American way and FIO sounds like how everyone else in the world probably says it, yes. but us. Well, and when you have to like get in a taxi, you have to say FIO. Otherwise, they don't know what you mean when you say FAO. Most of the time I walked to work, the hotel I was at was really close to work. I took the subway a couple of times. Um, that whole pro- part of the process was really easy. But uh, the whole being at the UN thing, last time I was there, I didn't know how you had to address people like ambassador, so-and-so. Like if you spoke, you had to say like co-chair, madam, blah, 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 like all these technicalities. And so this time I felt a little more comfortable in my skin being there, like getting a lay of the land. But the whole process is wild because you have like um, the member states. So the countries are there. And then I was actually a part of what's called private sector mechanism. And it's obviously private sector. And so I was there on behalf of Global Dairy Platform, which I am a newly Global Dairy Platform ambassador. So hopefully I'll get to do some more cool things. Whoop. Oh my gosh. Put that on your resume. Don't worry. I will as soon as it's like official, official. Bold. (laughs) And Um, comic sans. Yeah. So, but what's crazy is when you're there, like, I mean, there's so many different language being spoke. So the way it works is when you're sitting in the meetings, you have like a headpiece you wear and then you put it on a channel based on what language you speak. So like mine was on English and then there's translators all up. I'm like using my hands right now to talk as if people can see me, but they're like up high, all these translators overlooking you like through glass. And then they translate whoever's speaking on the floor into the language you're talking. And what's crazy about the UN is they cannot run over time because they can't afford to pay all the translators over time. Like it's wild how many people are in the room, like making this all happen. It feels very like you're on the floor of the stock exchange. Like there's just a lot going on. There's probably a lot of screens, like people talking or no, or is it more like very, is it like one person talks at a time? It's very like, yes, you have a flag you put up. It's what it's called. And then the facilitator calls on you like a member state, 
US, you know, whoever yeah. is wanting to speak. And then they have a mic that they turn on and they talk to the mic and then the translators do all those things. And the way this gender part, the negotiations worked for the gender was this part was kind of funny because I feel like it was very untechnical. It was a Word document up on a screen that we were just going through track changes. And so every time someone wanted to change something, like a country would be like, I want to change the word, blah, 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 blah. They would track change it. And then another country would be like, yes, I support that. No, I don't. Here's an alternative text I want. And I've never realized how much words matter until this week. Like every single word, every single comma, every single and or girls versus adolescents, everything mattered. Did you have a flag? We have a PSM flag. Yeah. Private sector mechanism flag. Did you raise it? Raise it? I Did didn't you raise get to flag? talk this time. We have our, like there's a person who is full-time at private sector mechanism and she's actually like a litigation lawyer. So we gave She was like say, the representative. Kind yes. Of. Like we would mm-hmm. say what we thought because um, I was there with another dairy person from U.S. Dairy Exports Council. And so we'd kind of, you know, we were there to support her. That was our our goal. It was to give, when she has people seated behind her, it gives her voice more of a weight, basically. I always say this to you. I think it's so cool how involved dairy is. I did ask why dairy like was really committed to this. And I thought this was kind of interesting. Obviously, dairy is committed to wanting women to have, you know, access to education, be able to own property, own livestock because of food security. But also when typically when women become more educated in a country, the first thing they do is buy better foods for their children, which is obviously very powerful for animal protein sectors. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, there was a few countries that, um, I crossed off my list of never wanting to travel to after these negotiations. It got a little heated a few times and it was just crazy, you know, in the world we live in to think that people think that women shouldn't have access to like own land, own cattle, get an education, get loans at a bank to be able to buy land. Like all of that was just wild to see it play out. Yeah, it is. When you say it, I'm not shocked that that is where we are. But at the same time, you're right. It is extremely shocking. And unfortunate. Do you have like a big takeaway? What's your big? My big takeaways from this time and even the last time I was there were very like similar. Um, Kind of the topics I just mentioned like that. Uh, But also some of the most food insecure people in the world are farmers. And that like both times, like seeing that, seeing that reality that like farmers struggle to feed their families really weighs heavy on me while I'm there. And it actually, it's so funny. I keep thinking of this quote, it's a Mother Teresa quote. And it says, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. And I absolutely love that quote. But when I was there in this room, it reminded me that like, we have to do more. If you have been like, ta- you know, if you've been given opportunity and we live in a country that we do, I do feel like we're tasked with like going out and helping these other countries make better like regulations, better laws that like help empower the people who need it, whether that's women, whether that's the food insecure. Like I just think that there's a lot of work to do in our country. To those who much is given, much is expected. Thank you. That's perfect. Very well said. Uh, the last thing that I wanted to tell you, I don't think I've told you this yet. I can't, I was super jet because we haven't talked in case people have not picked up on the fact that we have not talked. We have 
not talk. I also, though, was super jet lagged. And we talked one night and you were like, I don't think like you even remember this. And I was like, I'm going to fall asleep as soon as we get off the phone. You sounded drunk every time I talked to you. I was no. like, <laughs> one time you called me from Rome and I was like, are you, are, am I getting a drunk dial from Rome? But you were so sleep deprived. You so were just tired. like not making any sense. I was like, okay, we'll just chat when you get back home. Thanks for calling. <laughs> So, you know, I mentioned like we're not a member state. There's obviously countries in our member state. We were private sector mechanism. Then there's like civil society and indigenous people mechanism. There's the Holy See, which is like represents, you know, the Vatican. Guess who had their own flag? Oh, I don't know. Should the I Bill, know? The Bill Gates Foundation. Oh, not surprised. I thought that was interesting. I asked like why that was. And obviously (laughs) do tell every, you're like, uh, can we get to the bottom of this? Yeah. Money. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm, But I just feel like we covered Bill Gates a lot. So it was worth noting to our followers, uh, listeners to talk about that. No, it's so fun hearing about that. I, again, I just think it's really amazing that dairy is so invested and, um, I feel like progressive in this manner. And I think it's really great that they have so many representations and I thank you for going. I would, that's a very intimidating thing to do. So also kudos yeah. to you for, um, you know, being brave and brave enough to do that. Cause I don't know, stepping into those rooms, like you said, it's, there's a lot of languages. There's a lot of high profile people. Um, I could see how it'd be very, very intimidating. I do think this transitions nicely into our first episode though, if you want to jump to it, because it is all about FAO. Yes, it is. Um, Do you want to give us a rundown of the headline? Yeah, let's kick it off. So our first episode, you guys are not first episode. The first um, article you guys need to know this week is title, Sorry Vegans, a major health organization says meat, eggs, and milk are vital sources of much needed nutrients. A new report from the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization, FAO, has determined that meat, eggs, and milk are vital sources of much-needed nutrients such as proteins, fats, and carbohydrates that aren't easily found in plant-based foods. This is the most comprehensive study ever looking at the benefits and risks of consuming animal source protein. Based off the data, it was 500 scientific papers, 240 policy documents, and it said the critical nutrients from animal proteins for key stages of life, such as pregnancy, childhood, adolescent, older age. When you were reading this, were you kind of like, duh? Yeah, one of my notes I have was animal protein provides nutrients that are less common in other foods and that you can't easily get micronutrients from plants. And it was like, oh, really? (laughs) Tell me something I don't know. So on a serious note, I, am, I obviously am very excited to see the FAO release this. Do you know, is were they saying something else differently or is this the first time they've made a statement or why is this kind of making headlines like it is? So I think it's making headlines because the UN overall as a whole organization, but specifically FAO, has not been super supportive of animal agriculture sectors. But I do think this actually goes to the point of like the dairy going and supporting that. Like I received a comment when I said I was going to Rome for the UN. I received some negative comments. Like I should have had one person be like, I'm going to unfollow you. You can't believe you'd support the UN. And I like, I think I sent them this article actually, or this document and was like, this is why we go. This is why it's important to be at these tables. We always say that joke that like, if you're not at the table, you're on the table. Or if you're not at the table, you're not on the table. They're going to take you off the table and not serve you. And I think this was really groundbreaking. I think it goes to a lot of work that's being done. I know Global Dairy Platform has done a lot of work with the UN and with FAO to talk about the, the value of animal protein in people's diets. 
Yeah, one of the things that was quoted in here is talking about the common micronutrient deficiencies around the world, particularly in children and pregnant women, and it is iron and vitamin A, both of which are what you can get from our proteins, our animal proteins. More than one in two preschool children, so that's about 372 million, and 1.2 billion women of childbearing age, according to the study in the Eat Lancet report, or in the Lancet report, suffer from at least one of those micronutrients, iron, vitamin A, and zinc as well. And I thought that that was interesting that the Lancet included that, considering Eat Lancet said you only need like the size of a blueberry of me a week. So it uh, seemed like a very like change of tune for a lot of different organizations coming around this study. Something is in the air. We've always said we're having our moment. It is interesting too to note about that, that I think people, I know I did for sure until I kind of started looking into the data, but I always think of those deficiencies of being like third world countries and that US, like our nation doesn't have that problem. And that's absolutely not true. We have just as much as a problem with some of these deficiencies as anywhere else. And so, I mean, I think I even tweeted this quite a while ago, but I talked about how removing and calling for the decreased consumption of the major foods that can solve these deficiencies is extremely irresponsible. I completely agree. It did mention, I don't know if you got into this part about like not all meat is created equal, that they definitely still were anti-processed meat, that that was still linked to various diseases, but they really encouraged unprocessed meats, including beef, number one, pork and lamb, and then milk, eggs, and poultry as well. Uh, So I think overall it was just very on track. And I think it goes to some of the conversations you and I have been saying about like whole foods, like really consuming those like foods at their most natural state. And like this, I think like speaks to that really well. It does because they even got into, which I in my mind, I was kind of felt like it was jumping around a little bit, but at the end of one of the articles I was reading, it got into processed foods, which we have talked about before, the uh, you know processed versus non-processed. And it was talking about how it's a tool and it's not inherently bad just because something has been processed. Yeah. And I think a big push for this as well is if you follow like FAO at all, they have their sustainable development goals, their SDGs that they are trying to reach. And it they have realized that to reach those goals, this is playing into that. Like in order to reduce hunger, to reduce food insecurity, having animal source proteins is extremely important. So I do think like as they're going through those goals and trying to reach them, this is a key piece because it's not just about the nutrition actually. It's about the entire like food system that like animal ag plays such an important role in economies. Like making money for people. Oh, Natalie's raising the roof. Raise the roof for animal ag. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Well, I pulled out, I mean, on that note, I pulled out one of the quotes was food from animal sources are deemed part of a healthy diet and go a long way towards achieving FAO sustainable development goals, such as reducing wasting among children under five years of age, low birth weight, anemia in women of pre-productive age and obesity and non-communicable diseases and results. So it goes a long way in preventing diseases. You can consider some people consider food as treating diseases. I mean, this is a very big picture, like discussion topic. Yeah, you mentioned this as a problem worldwide, but three quarters of the children that we like talked about that are food insecure and have are missing micronutrients live in South and East Asia, the Pacific and Sub-Saharan Africa. And I think one of the things about all of those places is like thinking about people consuming foods that are like local to them. So whether that be eggs or sheep or, you know, beef, like there's different options in animal sourced proteins that you can have that really meet like what is culturally acceptable to you, socially acceptable and like economically, you know, viable and available to you. 
And that is like, that's the beauty of animal protein is that you can have animal agriculture all times of year providing food for you versus, you know, a crop that you're going to harvest once a year and that's it. Mm -hmm. The last thing I'll highlight this article pointed out that is obviously a pro and a win for us um, as an industry, but also again, as a society, when we're looking at our health, like we don't come from this as a standpoint, like yay for ranching and farming. We come this as a standpoint for like, yay for society for being healthier and our environment being better. But they also highlighted and talked about uh, saturated fat and like heart disease. And I feel like that was a really big win again for them to come out and talk about like the link between milk, eggs, and poultry, um, is not, correlated to coronary heart disease strokes or hypertension. They said it was inconclusive for milk and non-significant for eggs and poultry. And I think that's a really big step forward for that narrative that is, you know, you can't eat animal protein because it causes heart disease. Yep. I agree. I, overall it was, I compared to some of the things, like when you think about the UN and you think about like livestock's long shadow and the damage and repercussions from that Mm -hmm. to see this report, I hope it has the same impact in a positive way for animal agriculture moving forward and really changes that conversation about how animal ag is key to like a sustainable future and a nutritious future for our food system. We are the missing puzzle piece. Yeah. Like, mic drop after this like we're done we're the border pieces and and the center pieces <laughs> of the puzzle we we're are all of it in- intricate <laughs> oh before we move into our next article do you want to sh- highlight a review yes from a i listener? do i do yeah, so this is something fun that I we kind of wanted to add is kind of give you guys a shout out whenever we you know we always encourage you guys to share leave us a review because we do our month monthly giveaway where we put together a really great like gift bag of goodies that are Natalie and I's favorite. But we wanted to We bribe you guys. We basically bribe you guys to talk about us. But you know, we have no shame in our game because we love our podcast and your guys's word means a lot for getting it out there. So we will continue to bribe as long as you guys continue to share. Yeah. So now we want to give a shout out. Our shout out for this week is Maddie Tucker. She shared us on Instagram to her stories. She was listening while she was working out and she shared a couple stories about us. But one of them that I really, really loved was she shared about how she uses a a beef tallow balm that she loves and it was made in Nebraska. And it just so well went into what you and I have talked about in that, that, um, you know, the beef tallow is like supporting like very grassroots, amazing skincare. Mm -hmm. Shout out to Beef Tallow and shout out to Maddie and shout out to everyone listening. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Moving into our second article you guys need to know this week. Title Aubrey Plaza is the unfortunate new face of the milk wars. In a new ad for Big Dairy, Aubrey Plaza promotes fake wood milk, but the dairy industry's latest attempt to win over the use has backfired big time. We talked about this on the podcast briefly, like so briefly, mm-hmm. a couple episodes ago, or it's probably been a couple weeks now. But um, so this was a campaign by Milk Pep. So that is the people that process milk. It's not necessarily the dairy farmers, but it's like the processing plants. And it's the same people that brought you uh, Got Milk. And they did this as kind of like a, it was a satire, like a parody on the fact that the FDA recently announced that like you do not have to be milk to use the word milk. And so it was a whole thing that Aubrey Plaza did with like, they even made like a fake website. Like they went above and beyond. They had merch. This. Yeah, they had merch, which is hilarious. I contemplated merch. buying the merch. I know. Actually. I kind of wanted like the Gotwood or whatever. What mm-hmm. it was. Uh, very funny. And uh, it was really well received. 
which is kind of funny when we get into this article more, but obviously some of the comments and backlash has been very negative to the point that she actually turned off her comment section on Instagram and on YouTube. There is definitely a group of people, animal activists being a one, and I don't know, I guess just general milk haters that are completely outraged over her commercial and her role in this like mocking plant-based milk. Yeah, I think it's definitely activists and they definitely love to throw around the word big dairy, like as if big Mm. dairy is like take it over the world or something. I'm like, there's 35,000 dairy farm families. (laughs) I don't think that constitutes like crazy out there. I don't know. I look at you and I think scary dairy is scary, (laughs) big, bad dairy. That's actually, (laughs) that's in my head because I went to her, the Instagram post Um, And as you said, it's turned off, but she has comments allowed on all of her other posts. And she has been posting since she had this Instagram post for this campaign. Every single post since the top probably 10 comments are hashtag dairy is scary. There are comments of people yelling at her. I pulled out a couple that I want to read because it has crossed over into like cyberbullying and harassment. And I do not think it's appropriate or acceptable. It's nuts. One person compared it to uh, supporting heroin and human slavery. The quote was, what's next, Aubrey? Will you be promoting Fargo? How do you say that word? Fargo. 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 Doesn't sound right, but we're going to move on. (laughs) Veal, human slavery, or perhaps heroin, question mark. Really? Like, can we just pause for a second? Human slavery, heroin, and milk. Like, it's astounding that that is some people's um, brain wavelength. It's just crazy. You should be able to post that you are eating a food that you want to eat and not have that kind of backlash. Like, yeah, like you said, they've gone to other posts. They've gone to old posts now just because she's turned off the comments. And what's funny is she wanted, like, she was, like, on board for this, like, was part, from what I've heard, was a part of, like, the collaborative, like, what would that be, creative Mm -hmm. brain behind this. And was very supportive. She was in 4-H when she was a kid. So she's very supportive of ag and animal ag overall. I mean, I think she had to have known it wasn't going to be generally like 100% accepted. And I think if you are in the social limelight, I guess, I do think you're probably aware. I mean, other people have done milk campaigns and have received the same treatment. Every time we talk about this, we go and most people have turned off their comments. So I don't think she was like blind to that. But I do, I wish I looked for to see if she would release a statement and she hasn't. I would love to see if she is regretting it a little bit, got more backlash than she expected or was is completely like nonchalant, just living life, doesn't even care. Like I would love to know how she is post-campaign. Sometimes we are like so on the same wavelength. I have to like just laugh because we do not talk about these articles beforehand. And I literally put, do you think Aubrey, Aubrey Plaza cares? Or is she yeah. like, I got my money. I eat dairy. I support dairy. I'm good. I would like to think that, but being, I mean, you've been part of some hate campaign attacks and it is a little unnerving. Jarring. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I can't imagine, I mean, there are, I can't even imagine what her personal DMs are like if some of the things people are saying to her are so aggressive in the comment section. You have to wonder what is being sent as a, like a personal DM, which she might not even go over and check. Like she may even not even see half of these comments, which I think helps when you are a smaller account and you get targeted. You do have a higher percentage of seeing all of the volume that comes in. So I think that filter helps a little bit. 
Yeah, I think on the flip side of it, from what I've seen from the dairy side, like what people are saying, it's been a wildly successful campaign, like unbelievable amount of views and positive comments. I know that that we always are able to focus on the negative, but it has been really positive. So I, I would be I would be so curious to know what her back end of her life is looking like right now, or maybe like it's just not even registering to her and she doesn't care, but it has been a super successful campaign. I do getting into some of these articles though. I thought it was interesting. One of them mentioned that there are strict definitions that differentiate between like jelly jam and preservatives. And I thought that was hilarious that there are food groups that have those definitions and yet we don't see that crossover into milk. I thought the same thing. I was like, how on earth can we care what jelly jam and preservatives are, but we don't care. It goes back to the fact words matter. Words really matter. If that is one thing I learned this week. And I think that it, the whole point of this was to call out like the, the absolute ridiculousness of the fact that anything can go by the word milk when it's not milk. And I think that that matters. And I think what's even more wild, and I think I've talked about this. I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself, but I'm on my soapbox. I'm on my dairy soapbox right now. Europe, you aren't allowed to. So like silk milk in Europe has to say uh, like alternative beverage instead of milk. So in all the other countries, Canada, same thing. United States is the only one not enforcing that definition. So Okay. So maybe we've talked about this and maybe I can ask the same question. But is it just because the FDA doesn't want to enforce and regulate it then? Like yes. I don't get it. Yeah. They said that this most recent ruling, which we kind of talked about on an episode, that consumers were not confused by the word milk. They knew if they were buying an alternative milk or not. And so they didn't feel like they needed to enforce it. One of the things that really rubbed me the wrong way in these articles, though, is how there was repeatedly like dairy is dead. No one's buying dairy. This is just my plug that... The dairy sector is the largest sector at the grocery store, and it is the fastest growing sector. Put that in your milk glass and drink it. It is so interesting to me because I know that because I've gone on several podcasts with you where we talk about that and you mentioned some of the statistics and that it is like I know all of this about dairy. Had we not had those conversations, I wouldn't. And I would believe that because it is a narrative that's everywhere that milk is dying. Gen Z doesn't want it. I mean, that was a big part of a couple of the articles I read is that no one like millennials like Aubrey might like it and beyond, but no one from the Gen Z category is drinking it. Yep. It's definitely a narrative being pushed and it is a narrative that is being believed. I think one of the things is, is like Gen Z and even millennials are not pouring themselves a glass of milk. We're having dairy in different ways. Like even you and I, I don't typically drink a glass of milk, but I'll have like a core power. And I think like you're similar in that, or I'll have cheese or, and so Yes, fluid milk has not been on the rise since like I think the 70s, but people are consuming dairy in unique and different ways. It's funny you mentioned that because I was thinking about that exact same this weekend after I read all of these comments on poor <laughs> Aubrey Plaza's page. I just, I was like, I don't drink milk. I haven't poured myself a glass of milk since I don't even know when, middle school maybe. Like I did not drink it in high school. I definitely have never bought a gallon of milk for myself when I was in college. Like my kid, we have, I have probably four in the fridge right now because of my children and Luke, but not me. Yet I would never feel so convicted because I don't drink milk. So I could be like, no one else should drink milk because I don't drink milk. I don't like it. But I would never feel so convicted to leave these angry comments and demand that a full society, millions of people, billions, if we go globally, need to conform to my belief because I don't enjoy a glass of milk. I really think you hit the nail on the head with this. It's 
I don't understand why people are so crazy. And I use the word crazy because it, it, it's crazy. The comments that are getting They're left. crazy. They're crazy that they care that much what other people are eating. I just, I would not go on to a salad person doing a salad recipe and be like, I, do you know how dangerous it is to feed your kids like spinach? Like, I'm just like, nobody is doing these things. Like, why are people doing that to dairy? So I have one last big question for you. Okay. That made me think of this article because I was actually interviewed for a podcast last week. And she had noted that I had said advocate a couple different times. And she had, I think I'd said that because she had called me like an advocate. And she was like, do you not consider yourself an activist for like agriculture or meat? And I was like, that is very interesting. I've never been asked that before. And I said, no, because for me, activist carries like a very negative connotation. And so while I guess I am like, maybe in some sense, like an activist for the things I believe in, I would just never call myself that. I actually almost wonder if I like the word activist better than advocate because I feel like I am very passionate. I would never until you brought this up have called myself an activist. But honestly, probably if you got to the root of it, I am like an activist for animal agriculture. Like I am so believe in like our cause and what we're doing and the nutrition we provide and like the benefits we provide to our society that like in some ways, but at the exact same time, I would not go on vegans pages and spend my entire day telling them how they're wrong and how they're ruining the planet and how their nutrition is terrible. So no, I don't. So I guess both can, I don't know. That's such an interesting conversation. Mm, We'll have to see if you update your resume to be milk activist. (laughs) Stay tuned. You know what, but before we move on, one of the articles was talking about uh, food classification Mm-hmm. And there's something called Nova, N-O-V-A, that sorts foods into four categories of processing. And it put p- the plant-based alternatives in the same category as Twinkies and soft drinks. Were you aware of that? No, I wasn't. That sounds like a much better ranking than our friends over at <laughs> Tufts. Yeah, I know. I know. I need to look into it more, yeah, but I thought I'm that was really to. interesting that that's where we're, they were placing them. Again, going back to what we always talk about from like a health standpoint, these alternatives, they are greenwashing if you're thinking that you're getting a more nutritious product than your whole counterparts. Yep. Okay. Is that all? Look at who's making us stay on dairy longer. I feel like I I've converted well, you. Are you, you ready? Have. I was going to say this is absolutely 100% your fault. <laughs> Normally, <laughs> I would skip right on by dairy. Okay, before we move on to the next uh, article, though, I do want to highlight uh, one of our favorite podcasts, Farm for Profit Podcast. If you are looking for a new podcast to listen to, go check them out. It consists of a banker, a farmer, and a realtor slash auctioneer who deliver their weekly shows using an unbiased and fact based approach. You know, we love that. Their mission is to help provide resources for their listeners to help them and their farm achieve high levels of profitability in an entertaining fashion. They hope to entertain and help motivate their listeners to run their farms more like a business and ensure that it will be carried on for future generations. They actually have two episodes a week. They have Farm for Profit every Monday, and that really is that one that's business and profitability driven. And they have Farm for Fun released every Thursday that brings in a different guest to each episode to highlight their achievements and what they're doing in agriculture. And we were recently are going to be dropped um, on their Farm for Fun. So yeah, so stay tuned for that in a couple weeks. They are. They put the F in fun. They are a lot of fun. We got off that call and I was like, boy, they're really good interviewers. They ask like unique questions, things we hadn't ever been asked before. I felt they do a really good job. 
Yes, it was. And it was, there was obviously five of us on the call and there was, they're very, there's a lot happening. It's a very quick moving. So um, I think some of our listeners would really enjoy them. Mm -hmm. All right, moving into our third and final news article you guys need to know this week, title Supreme Court Upholds California Law on Humane Pork Sale. The Supreme Court on Thursday upheld California's right to forbid the sale of pork in the state unless producers abide by more humane regulations on the treatment of pregnant sows. I want to give some a little bit of history on this because there's a lot that has mm. been happening over the years with this. We're paying attention, history teacher. Okay. I know. I feel like that's my new role. Uh, this passed, this Proposition 12 passed in California in 2018 with full implementation being in 2022. I do think it's worth noting that this passed in urban counties, like overwhelmingly, and in rural counties in California, it failed. Like the map was crazy seeing like the difference of who voted for it. That is how Nebraska is. Omaha and Lincoln are usually voting very heavily one way, and then the rest of the state is another, and often we still get overpowered because of numbers. It's kind of crazy. Yes. So what ended up happening was in 2022, a judge put a hold on this to not enforce it. So it did not go into enforcement, and it ultimately went to the Supreme Court. The National Pork Producers Council and American Farm Bureau Federation filed a lawsuit, and then as we just heard, the Supreme Court upheld the law. It Came down to a tight vote, though. It passed only five to four at the Supreme Court. It was a very mixed decision. I felt like Supreme Court almost didn't want to deal with it. I think there are a couple of people that are like, why? Like, they, I think they were actually trying to push it back down below to a couple they courts were. even below them. They did not want to deal with this for whatever reason. I feel like that actually brings me to a point is there's like two different points to this. There is the conversation around the entire like pork and what it is. But then at the Supreme Court level, there was the point that California is passing a law that affects other states. And that's why the Supreme Court did not want to touch it is they didn't want to rule on the fact of like what one state can do, whether it can enforce something on another state. Well, and that's actually going back to when you said that it was paused when the AFBF and the MPPC argued, like, did they technically sue? Yes. Okay. So when they put that into place, it was because of the commerce clause is what they were using in their advantage. And that is exactly what you said. It's which restricts states from regulating commerce outside their borders. And when we talked about this on the podcast, gosh, forever ago, it was literally in 2022. I just felt like it would not pass because of this. It is insane to me that a state can dictate what other states are doing. I agree. And what I thought was even wild is that it really, I, the quote is it splintered the justices outside of their usual liberal conservative blocks, like because it it went against like different, I guess, you know, so political norms and made them like really question what they were for and what they were not for. And I was, I'm surprised it passed because of that too, not because of the animal welfare, not because of anything to do with pork, but because of the inner what is it? Interstate trade issues that this brought up. Mm -hmm. So what I thought was interesting is there are really great sound bites out there from the articles I was reading about this. I pulled out a lot of quotes and I think a really a lot of important things to consider. When you initially think of this article, I think most people are going to think it affects farmers. And that is at the end of the day who it is going to affect most and absolutely will affect farmers. But every single article I read talked about how this will not just impact farmers, but ultimately food consumers. And I think that is a huge point of this because I will die on the hill of saying that oftentimes when it comes to our food system, we ask for things without fully understanding what it means when we get those. They're saying it will increase pork prices by as much as 13%. 
I also, I do want to note this wasn't just about pork. I don't think I gave that in my history lesson. So I apologize. It was, you did mention it was about laying um, egg, laying hens and veal as well. The egg industry decided to comply. And I think the veal industry decided to comply as well. And so that's why pork was the like standing firm on it and going, you know, kind of against the grain here. But one of the interesting things that I, that I saw was that pork producers had acknowledged that practices were already changing and in response to consumer demand, like there were laws in other states, and that 28% of the industry has already converted to this style of housing to accommodate consumer demands. So I did find it, I would like pork, this was the hill they decided to like kind of like die on, even though they have acknowledged the fact that like consumer demands are changing. Where did you get that information? Because I feel like everything I've read has basically said the opposite, that like no major pork packers have offered any Prop 12 compliant in a significant way, that it's going to take a really long time, that the only one that has come out to publicly announce that they are ready and like segregating Prop 12 hogs are Hormel. Mm -hmm. Um, Other than that, like it's very low. I think it's around like 5% that are even estimated that they are at compliant at this point. Wow. That's like a very different uh-huh. articles. Yeah, I got the 28% of the industry has already converted to some form of group housing. That's so interesting. That is yeah, really I definitely, crazy. I definitely got the impression from when I was reading that it no one is ready and no one is really moving fastly to be <laughs> compliant. Because then there was, I mean, this was, a lot of this was on Twitter, I guess. Because um, then there was conversations about like, well, are they just going to be like, let California starve then? Like they get what they deserve. And they're like, absolutely not. Because California has such a high percentage of consumption of pork, which is why this is a big deal. Because some people might say, well whatever. If you're a Nebraska pork farmer or um, Iowa one, just don't sell to California then. Just continue to sell to other marketplaces and don't make the changes that California is dictating. But they have such a high consumption rate that they are going to have to make the changes. And they have, California has such a low production rate. They produce Mm -hmm. very, very little pork. And the pork Less than 1% or right at 1%. The pork industry is a $20 billion industry. And I do think, though, when people – I saw the same thing on Twitter that was, like, boycott selling pork to California and, like, let them figure it out. The issue is I feel like it's not that simple because packages get – you know, you're going to go to a processing plant. All the pork is going to get, you know, packaged and, like – you're going to, what are you going to put? Like I saw someone was like, so now we're going to have labels like produced in California and not produced in California. Like great. Another label to try to address this issue. In idea, it sounds great to boycott California. I just don't think the follow through is like possible. No, I don't think it is either. So one thing I want to talk about, because this actually came up in the episode where we talked about the uh, fires for the the dairy, the big dairy fire, Mm -hmm. how activists were because of this, they were wanting to dictate laws like sprinklers in place and a couple other things you mentioned on the podcast that you ultimately said, you know, who it hurts the most is the small farmers. And there is a really great quote from a Mr. Scott Hayes, who is a Missouri, Missouri pork producer who said, allowing state overreach will increase prices for consumers and drive small farms out of business leading to more consolidation. And again, going back to my statement that I believe so strongly in is that we ask for things and we do not understand the consequences. Will the California producers, if we do see more consolidation out of this, is that a win? Like, is that what California will be happy with is higher prices, more consolidation and small pig facilities out of business because they couldn't afford to comply? 
I completely agree with you. This will hurt the smallest farmers the most who cannot afford to put in the capital investment to change over all of their different infrastructures. Like you're talking to change a barn, I would imagine, for the like a, a medium to small scale farm is like millions of dollars, at least hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so it will hurt them the most versus, you know, the the larger hog facilities that are able to do that. Uh, I don't know if you ended up on this thread on Twitter, but do you know who did not support this? Proposition 12, PETA. PETA has a tweet. Proposition 12, a victory for pigs? No. Pigs didn't win their freedom or the end of their pain. They won a misery uh, amount of space and a miserable life that ends in frightening transportation to a hideous death. So I'm not even surprised that it's not enough for PETA. That's what I was about to say. If anyone was under assumptions that PETA wanted like better animal welfare, but like still wanted animal ag, this just confirmed it. They will not be happy until there's absolutely no animal ag. And I just think that's worth noting. This was a big one for Farm Bureau. I mean, we talked with President Zippy Duval back in the fall about this, that, you know, American Farm Bureau, we mentioned they were a part of the lawsuit with the National Pork Producers Association. They were coming out strong on this, that this was like something they needed to take a stand on. I tried to look to see, is there anything they can do since? Like, will we see, you know, was it NCPP and American Farm Bureau or is it like it's dead now? I didn't see anything about like, you know, appeals or anything. I feel like, you know, the Supreme Court by definition is like the Supreme. Um, I did see something that the Supreme Court said in their like argument or their, what is it called, where they give their information, like why they voted a certain way. They said that they actually feel like this is an issue for Congress since it's about interstate commerce and that Congress should address Prop 12. I look to see if a Farm Bureau, because like as you mentioned, they were, I mean, we interviewed Zippy about it. And so I looked to see if like Zippy put out a statement or American Farm Bureau did or anyone. And while I was looking for that, I actually came across a Nebraska Farm Bureau president who had a statement out there, which I thought was really great. He said, the strength of our U.S. food system is founded on many things. Among them is the ability for farmers and ranchers to be innovative in production practices. As a result, Americans have been afforded a wide array of food choices at a wide array of costs, providing much needed flexibility for individuals and families of differing income levels. And I hate to always go back to that, but I do think it's important to not lose sight that our food system is built on some of those things. And the more we make decisions like this, obviously the more and more we are we're making some positive changes, but we're moving further away from some of these basic things that our food system is currently founded on. Yes. I think that we talk a lot on this podcast about the fact that our food system, we got to where we're at for a reason. You know, could things be better? Yes. Could they be worse? <laughs> yeah. And that every time we make a decision, and you know, I talk about this on other podcasts and in my keynote speech that people vote with their dollar at the grocery store and it votes us one way or another in agriculture. And this is just another one of those cases um, where we're, we're moving ag in a different direction and we will all have to pay for the repercussions of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be fun to, well, I don't know if fun is the right word, but it, it will definitely <laughs> be <laughs> interesting to follow this uh, from so many different aspects, from producer, you know, pork producer aspect, from California resident aspect, from general nationwide pork um, consumer aspect. Like there's a lot of different pain points, I guess, to see what this will change. And so it'll just be really interesting to see the ripple effects. Yep, I agree. Anything else that you want to add? 
That is it. I'm all talked out. All right. Well, thanks for listening to Discover Ag this week, where every week we discover what's new in the world of agriculture. We will see you guys next week.